Hello, and welcome to the What's Next podcast. My name is Liz Smith, owner of Liz Smith Law, and on this show, I share conversations to investigate building and leaving your legacy, estate planning for young families, supporting aging loved ones and parents, and other topics around aging, death, and other life transitions that will affect each of us. This is your source for hard-to-find resources in Southeast Alaska and beyond. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get each and every episode of our show. Welcome. With me as my guest today is Lisa Warzonik. Did I get that last name right? You got it right. Okay, great. Uh, Lisa is here to talk about guardianship in Alaska. She is administrator. She might correct me on that title, but she works with the Alaska State Association for Guardianship and Advocacy, or ASAGA, which is a small nonprofit organization that provides tools, resources, and advocacy in support of excellence in adult guardianship and conservatorship across the state. They are proud to partner with the Alaska court system to provide support and training, and they are honored to partner with the Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority, who has provided uh, generous funding for their programs. And Lisa's going to share with us, I think she also works with the court and has a variety of roles. Um, so welcome, Lisa. Great. Thank you, Liz, for having me. I am I'm really excited to be talking to you. I'm really excited to learn for my own benefit and how I can help individuals navigate and then for our listeners to learn what resources uh, you'll be able to share with us. Absolutely. Um, dive in. I'm going to set a little context probably later, but what? Tell us about your your roles that you play. So, as you mentioned, I'm the administrator for Asaga. Which, just as a side note or story, um, Asaga got that big long name of the Alaska State Association for Guardianship and Advocacy really because the founders back in 1992 came back and said we really want to have a guardianship organization in Alaska that looks at excellence, that looks at promoting the best ideals. And they came with the thought and really the foundation of what we do, that every person is unique and every guardianship will have its own story. And another word for story is saga. So a saga, and then they filled in all the blanks. And now we have the Alaska State Association for Guardianship and Advocacy, also known as a saga. And, uh, and that's really been our foundation. And that's how we approach every call, every email, every training is that there's some basic information that's out there. There's certainly legal information, um, but every person is unique and has their own story. I um, am the current administrator. And what that really means is, is I do pretty much anything that's needed. We have limited funding. Uh, to have limited hours. We are a small small nonprofit. Um, we generally hold office hours three times a week. We do a lot via email. We do a lot of trainings. And then we record as many of those to put up on the website as we can. But I also do the data entry. I do a lot of the trainings. I find speakers. I uh, look for resources. I recruit volunteers. So it is a very small organization. But in 2016, we felt that it was important to do more than just an annual conference and be that behind the scenes um, sort of advisory council and really get out there 
and what does what what does the state of Alaska need? What do our communities need for guardianship and conservatorship resources? And we were blown away by the response. Um, just to give you a background, in July of 2016, we got an email and we got a phone. And then we got a Facebook account. We started letting people know we were there. And I took a bunch of emails off of different lists, like the care coordination list and the bar association. And I just kind of put out an email, hey, we're here. Let's see what the response is. The board of directors and I, all volunteers said, let's see what the response is. So in the first quarter from July to September, I talked to 16 people who word of mouth found us. The, sec the second year, so now we're in um, July and September of the following year, we had a 625% growth. And in so it would have been 2017, year two. Yeah, so in year two. So in July of 2016, and then come around July of 2017, we had literally had a 625% uh, growth in, in contacts. So that really let us know, like, actually, this is something that may be needed. Um, I'm also the grant writer if Asava needs to file any grants, which we did. And we got a grant through the American Bar Endowment Opportunity Grant, I think in their second year of doing that type of opportunity grants. Um, and they funded us for two years while we gathered data. And then we were able to give that data and apply for a three-year grant from the Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority. So uh, really gave us kind of our, our start. Um, and I've been administering that program during these last six years. And then I also work for the Alaska court system as the statewide guardianship compliance officer. And that's been a great partnership with the court because the court doesn't have a self-help, um, doesn't have self-help staff for their self-help department on guardianship specific. They have lots of other topics and some great staff over there, but not on guardianship specific. So we're kind of able to, uh, work together to provide that self-help on guardianship. And then I'm able to really look at our community trends from the court level and see where the court can improve. So those are the two hats that I wear uh, right now, all about the adult guardianship arena. And as we, just to step back, I want to provide a little context for listeners as to when this comes up, because we might think not everyone's aware that they could be in a position to be guardian for themselves or one of their loved ones. And so I work with people to make sure that you have, if you have the capacity right now to decide who you would want to make decisions for you if you cannot. But do you want to take that question, Lisa, in terms sure. of what we're talking about with, when we talk about conservatorship and guardianship, who are individuals playing these roles. And, and I agree, Liz, I would echo what you said that you want to get your advanced directives, your wishes known and in writing. Um, if you have a trusted person in your life to set up uh, powers of attorney, either for medical or financial, because that could all Thanks. avoid needing to go into court. And we can, that doesn't take all the risk away but it reduces the risk of needing to petition for a guardian or conservator because guardianship and conservatorship, guardian being more of the person, you know, the medical, the housing, the services where the conservatorship is more the money and property, it does remove the rights of that individual to make those decisions. 
And it also puts the family member or loved one under the jurisdiction of the court. So that's going to affect your parents who have uh, kids with a diagnosis or disability and are now turning 18, and maybe they need some help transitioning from um, being a minor to adulthood. Uh, that would be your uh, adult children who might have aging parents that have something that happens to them. It could also, to be honest, any one of us, you know, knock on wood, I drive home today and get into a car accident and have a traumatic brain injury. If I didn't have my directives in place, my husband would likely need to file, even if it's on a temporary basis, but guardianship of me to make decisions because just being my husband, he can make an emergency decision because our hospitals do have statutes for those types of emergency stabilizing decisions. But to do anything else, to manage my affairs, to choose a nursing home or, or a rehab facility for me, if I needed that, he would need to become my guardian or conservator. So anybody could find themselves in that role with something unexpected. Uh, but, and that's why I'm, I do my little soapbox at times where put your advanced directives in place now. I'm going to be 50 this year. I've had them in place since I was 35, but not a lot of my friends did that. And I'm always encouraging them, get those things done because you never know when you may need them. Uh, and so having them in place may alleviate ever needing to come into court. Um, but if you're not able to, or it's one of those unexpected life things, then uh, there is the um, guardianship arena, which includes conservatorship that you may have to fall back on. Yeah, and I will link in the show notes. In Alaska, we're so lucky. This is not true in many states, but there are free forms for an individual. But as Lisa said, if if a child is never able to to make that that nomination, and parents have to step in. There are times where you can't avoid it. Yeah. So uh, where to begin? There's so many places that we could go. And what types of what I really want to focus on, there's the, if someone needs a guardian, then uh, anybody can petition. And are there resources that you can point individuals to if they think maybe a, a a relative may if something happened to them and you think they need some help would be better off having someone else manage finances or making those decisions about where they're going to live and housing, getting that process started. Yeah, so if you find yourself thinking that this is an option, uh, we would first encourage you to educate yourself about the options before guardianship, like supported decision making agreements or powers of attorney. And there are lots of resources on those. The Disability Law Center does a lot of supported decision-making agreements, and there's a lot of information on the Governor's Council's uh, website. Uh, we have information on our website with the saga on those. But if you do feel like I this is a road I need to go down, there is a great three-part video on the Alaska Court System website. Part one is what to think about before petitioning. Part two is all about the petitioning process. And there are some guidelines and rules that you need to think about when you become the petitioner. You can't just petition and then walk away. You have to participate in the investigation and the hearing and the responsibility of, of proving that a guardian or conservatorship is needed does fall to the petitioner. So that video can be helpful in letting you know what to expect in that process. And then part three of that three-part video is all about the duties and responsibilities 
of being a guardian or conservator. It also lets you know what they can and can't do because we don't want people going into this process and filing a petition if maybe what they want is not something a guardian or conservator can do in Alaska. So having those realistic expectations. We then hear at Asaga because there are lots of questions about what does this question on the form mean? Where can I find it? Because we have a lot of rural areas in Alaska, internet is not always available. So how can they get the forms? So they can simply call or email us. We're happy to do a consultation and um, help them through that process. We can mail them forms. We can email them forms. We can answer those questions. We are not attorneys and we cannot give legal advice. And I have people say, well, should I do a power of attorney or a guardianship? And I direct them to speak to an attorney just like yourself because I can give them information. I can say, well, this is what the power of attorney can and can't do. This is what the guardian can and can't do. But as far as whether or not you should file, you really probably need to speak to an attorney about what's best for your situation. But if you decide that you want to go down the, the guardianship road, we can answer some informational questions to help guide and navigate that process so that you have a good understanding and good expectations uh, on what's going to happen. So we can be a resource. And there's also a lot of information on the Alaska Court System website, too. Great. And I know that many individuals do successfully go through the court process without an attorney. And of course, you can um, turn to an attorney for assistance. You mentioned a couple, uh, you mentioned forms. Um, and so there are many forms available. Earlier, um, you said that for guardianship, there's no self-help with court, with the court system. Can you elaborate a little? I guess it's an absence of things. Yeah. I guess what I just want to say and then you can respond if you want but that there are forms available and this sounds like there's a lot of information on the website so um and that you can help with yeah there is there the alaska court system has one of an amazing service that some courts in lower 48 don't have but they have a self-help department and there are dedicated real life people at the end of a phone that can talk about a variety of self-represented needs. So um, if someone's self-representing in a divorce, or I think they have some information on domestic violence, um, information on uh, um, eviction and landlord, tenant acts, things like that. What they have not had is staff that can answer day-to-day -day guardian or conservatorship questions. How do I start the petitioning process? When do I file my annual report? Where do I get these forms? And that is something that the court is doing uh, with a guardianship improvement project that they're hoping to add self-help staff. In absence of there being someone at the self-help department, that's where we've worked with the court through a saga to be, in a sense, that de facto uh, program. But the great thing with the help of the A program and the trust is we've been able to gather the data to show all across the state in lots of different locations. We've gotten calls and, and emails and have done training and consults showing that this is a support network in Alaska that's needed. And that helps the court look at funding options and hopefully put those that staffing in place. So we hope to see that very, very soon. That's amazing. I actually am embarrassed. I had no idea that there was staff available. Um, that's 
fantastic to know to, to, to tell people about. There is information on the self-help department when you go to the Alaska Court System website. One of the tabs at the top of the screen says self-help. And there's a lot of guardianship information. There's just not staff dedicated, at least not yet. But that's what we're working on. Great. Great. And are you comfortable, completely moving on, but once someone, there's this initial process with the court, and the court's pretty good about, you know, helping people out through that. But then someone becomes a guardian. And are you comfortable talking about some of those duties and responsibilities? Once Absolutely. Pointed? Yeah, so I think that there's a process to go through the petitioning process, and that's what you're focused on. You've got your hearing. A lot of families and loved ones, it might be their first time in court, even for the individuals that are subject to this court order. It's their first time. Uh, and so that can be overwhelming and you may get a lot of information from the judge or your court visitor and you're required to do an education requirement, but it's a lot of information in a very short period of time. And uh, one of the first things that you need to do when you're first appointed is that education requirement. Now, part three of that um, three-part video that I mentioned is one way that you can do that. It's an hour long, it's self-paced, and at the end of it, you'll be prompted to print a certificate to show the court that you've done that. Another way is you can do a live class through us at Asaga, which we do on the first Tuesday of every month. And that's nice because you can ask questions and then we also provide you with, with a certificate. But because it's live, it's a two hour course because we always have questions throughout. So you have to complete that within 30 days after you're appointed as a new guardian or conservator. What I recommend is that folks do their requirement within those 30 days. But if you took the class, watch the video in six months, because sometimes that overwhelming, it's like, you know, information overload. It can be helpful to go back and take the class again or watch the video again or, or watch the video if you took the class so that you kind of help solidify and wrap your mind around some of the concepts of being a guardian or an adult. Another great resource for that education, and I tell a lot of folks to use it as a desk reference, is the National Guardianship Association Standards of Practice. It's a great line-by-line, uh, -line, like, how do you make decisions for someone as a guardian, as opposed to a parent or a family member, because there is a difference. The first standard is ask the person what they want. You may be appointed to make decisions for them, but they are very much still a part of this and need to be involved as much as possible to the largest extent of possible um, on their abilities. And so those standards of practice can help you in the, your, in the decision-making process and really what to think about. It's not statutes, it's not rules, it's not laws, it's guidelines. And it's helpful guidelines to help individuals who don't do this on a day-in, day-out basis be ideal guardians. The next couple of things that you need to do for the court is there is usually an implementation report that's due in 90 days. And that lets the court know how everything's going at the start. You have your hearing, you have your court visitor report, you talk to the judge, now you've got your order and now you need to start using that order. You need to do an inventory of their income, their expenses, their assets, their liabilities. You need to possibly get them into a doctor you need to look at safe housing. And this implementation report shows how you're implementing the order. And it's just a one-time report due in 90 days. 
And then every year that you are a guardian, uh, you're going to do an annual report to the court. And that's what I mean. You're under the jurisdiction of the court now. The court has issued this order giving you permission to act on someone else's behalf. And because of that, the court has to monitor and enforce that order no different than if it was um, a, a criminal or a civil case. It's uh, a order that they have to monitor and enforce. And the annual report is one of the ways that they do that. With regards to your duties, the sky is the limit. And that's why we mean everyone is unique. You may have a loved one that is pretty status quo when you're first appointed. You've got everything in place. They've got a doctor, they've got providers. You may apply for benefits and then it's just living life and ensuring that they have the best quality and rich life as possible. You've got other guardians that step into this because their loved one is non-compliant, uh, uncooperative, putting themselves in a lot of dangerous situations. They may need to have an evaluation. They may need safe housing. You're navigating a lot of, of uh, resources and trying to figure out where you can find the items that they need. So two resources that are really helpful to family guardians starting out, if they're not already immersed in providers, is the Alaska 211 uh, number, which is, is like 411 for information, but it's actually 211 to get you service provider information based on the, the age, the diagnosis, the population, and your location. The other one is the Aging and Disability Resource Center. And that's where in certain areas of the state, there are actually staff that you can speak with. Um, and they look at, again, your location, the individual's diagnosis, their age, um, and then try to provide you with whatever services you're looking for. Do you need assisted living home? Do you need in-home services? Do you need um, supported employment, enrichment programs? Those are two resources to get uh, what your loved one might need to, again, help main, maintain or meet the health safety um, and well-being of that person, as well as enrichment. Um, and you might, again, I mentioned applying for benefits. You may have to gather information about Social Security, uh, public assistance, Medicaid, Medicare, a pension. Some people have rental income or businesses. So it can be fairly overwhelming, and it really just takes a guardian being diligent. But the duties that come after your court requirements are vast, and that's another area that ASAGA can be helpful. We have a great training on our website called Getting Started, and it goes over a lot of the main points. Do you need to change the address so all the mail comes to you so you know what bills that person has? Uh, do you need to apply for benefits? And so we've got a great checklist and training to kind of help them get started. We can also set you up with a volunteer, which we have some volunteers that are professional guardians who do this day in and day out, that work with um, a person similar to your loved one. A lot of guardians specialize in older adults or individuals with mental illnesses or uh, intellectual uh, disabilities. And we can match you with a volunteer that may work best for you to help you get started in other things that you might need to do. One nice thing that I mentioned is we've had some of our information and this getting started training translated in uh, Spanish, Korean, and Tagalog to also help individuals where English is a second language. Uh, so um, we could probably talk for eight straight hours on the duties, but I would say when you're getting started, if you have questions, that's where we can be a resource and we can get you pointed in the right direction.
You just talked about language, and I think that you have access to interpreter services as well. Do I have we that? do. We have funding if English is the second language to help with guardianship questions, filling out forms, where we can have an interpreter on the phone, um, make sure that the individual understands. Yes. I want to ask a little more. So. A guardian, you've talked about they're going to be responsible to navigate benefit, living decisions. There's so much there, but um, can you speak a bit more to the financial reporting requirements of sure. what you required to report to the court on that annual? So if you have conservatorship authority, and again, that's the part where you are responsible for their income and their expenses, their assets and their liabilities, including property. You have to essentially do an accounting each year of the money you are in control of. So if the person gets social security, uh, if they get the senior care benefit, if they get a pension or even wages, you have to document all of those items uh, for your annual report. So you need to keep track of all of the income every month. And when we say income, we need regular sources of income. If you know grandma sends uh, John, you know, $20 in his birthday card. We're not talking about that. It's monthly sources of income and then significant, you know, maybe one-time income sources like the stimulus that came out uh, due to COVID, um, an inheritance, the sale of a home or a vehicle, something significant like that. You need to ensure that those benefits and income sources stay in place. So if there's any reviews that go along with them, and then you need to document those uh, bank statements, um, pay stubs, uh, any way that you can document that those income sources are still in place. You also then have to document where it goes and how it's spent. So if a person gets 10,000 of income, you need to tell us where $10,000 every year goes. Are they paying rent or are they living with the guardian and they have a room and board authorization? Uh, are they buying clothing or are they paying for classes? Uh, do they have medical co-pays? Um, do they um, have car insurance or home insurance? We, you know, again, the scenarios are kind of sky's the limit, but the important thing to keep in mind is you do have to document that and have written documentation. If you're a family that pays a lot of things in cash, that's okay. The court's not going to tell you that you can't, but then you need to keep receipts. What did you spend the hundred dollars on? Uh, if you pay your uh, rent and cash, get a receipt from your landlord. If you go to Walmart and buy things for the individual, keep that receipt. Uh, your bank statements can also be a great way of documenting. Um, tax returns, if applicable, can be a great way of documenting income and expenses. But the big uh, picture there is, is documentation of both the income and expenses on an annual basis. There's some great tools that can uh, help you out. Uh, and in fact, we teach a class on how to track that information. Uh, and we also have a brand new income and expense tracker application. It's actually a software that the court system got started and we helped out with. And we are now glad that we it's actually coming to fruition where it's a very user friendly, designed with the family guardian in mind way of keeping track of income and expenses. So you actually can enter in the social security amount, designate that that's the source, hit submit. And at the end of the year or end of the reporting period, it prints a page that looks very similar to the page you would turn into the court, the summary of all of your information. And um, we are working with having families 
uh, get signed up for that now. Um, That's really amazing. It, it's We're super excited about it. There are some people that are just pen and paper folks, though. And I, I have to tell you, one of the most successful financial accountings that I have ever seen was a mother who was the guardian of her son. She was in her 70s. He was in her, his 50s. She got a legal pad of paper every year and would literally write down the bank balance, the income, the expenses. She had an envelope she kept receipts in. And I decided to audit her for like a 10-year period um, just in, a, in, a, in the, one of the monitoring reviews. I was just curious how far off might she be. And she was to the penny in her financial accounting with her bank statements and what she wrote down. We're not expecting that level of perfection. Family guardians are not accountants. Or many don't have an accounting background, which is why the uh, class that we teach on keeping track of that in the annual report can be really helpful because we'll give you some tips and tools. We also don't want you to start a whole new system that you may not be used to because learning something new while you're learning something new can be really difficult. So that class can be helpful to find out what system works best for you in keeping track of that information. Um, but there are some tools and resources and ways that we help people figure that out. If you're good with pen and paper, we're going to show you how to do that. If you like software, there are lots of different softwares that you can buy, but we now have one specific for family guardians and conservators. Um, but there are different ways that will work for people. We just got to find the right system for them. And when you mentioned classes, I think you have, you may have mentioned this, but there are a number on your website, right? That anyone can watch at any time as well yeah. as live. Yeah, there are. We try to record most of the live webinars we do so we can get them up on the website for people to watch at their leisure. We know that we have limited hours and limited funding to be available. And we also know that sometimes the only time you may have to learn something or take a class might be at nine o'clock at night when the kids are in bed and dinner is done and you have a few minutes to yourself. So we want to have as much on the website as possible. So if we record a training, it will go up on the most appropriate page. Sometimes we're not able to record. The presenter may not be comfortable with us recording. And we will generally note on our registration if, uh, if we're recording or not. And if people are wondering, they can always contact us. But we have an educational resources tab on our website. We have links to a lot of different websites where questions can be answered. We have form links, and then we have a lot of video trainings um, or uh, manuals that people can download if reading is more of their comfort level of learning. So we have a lot of things under that page. And then we do a lot of live webinars, which you can always find what we're doing on our calendar of events. And just to point out, Liz, most of our services are free of charge. There's lots of more important things that people may need to pay for. And this is something that we felt very strongly about when we got started. The only thing we generally have a charge for is our conference. And that's because we have to pay people to do a conference. But this year, we actually have some scholarships uh, for our conference coming up on October 15th. And the theme is mindful of mental health. And we're going to be looking at um, individuals who are experiencing mental illness, doing limited guardianship orders, uh, working with those individuals so that, that you can help them in the most ideal ways, and then getting an update on some mental health services coming here to Alaska. 
Great. So we're recording at the end of September, the last day, and hopefully I'll get this up uh, for people that want to attend this year's conference. And you do an annual one around this time of year? We do an annual conference every year, and we are, because we're all virtual, we have permission to record the session so we can make those available uh, at a later date if anyone misses the, the live sessions. Okay, so if you're listening to this and you're interested, it should be available. And I think the cost, you said there was a cost, but it's relatively low. It is. The cost is $40. We try to keep our conferences very affordable, but we do have scholarships available. So uh, on the conference webpage under our Saga services, you can fill out for a conference scholarship. And that's for anyone. While we generally have families prioritized, if you are a provider that works with a lot of family guardians, but your agency doesn't have funding, um, the scholarship's available for you as well. It's really open to anyone. So lots of, of draw. And what about someone who finds themselves in this guardianship role and is looking to connect with other people going through similar things? I imagine that that would be really helpful. Do you yeah, have- we- We felt so as well, and we actually felt it being even more important during COVID. And while we hated to have, you know, probably the one more Zoom when families are navigating everything via Zoom these days, but it's a way to connect with people all around the state. And so we started a family guardian network. It's part support group, part information. So we have a guardianship professional online, typically me, unless I'm not available and then one of my counterparts would step in, but it's other family guardians. And it is designated just for family or volunteer guardians. So we don't have this open to providers or professional guardians. It's really just to, I don't want to call them a non-professional guardian because there's lots of volunteer family guardians that are professionals, but it's for your family or volunteer guardian and a great way of networking with others that are going through the same process, a great way to hear from others, but also um, get support and get your questions answered as well. And so we do that on the fourth, uh, fourth Tuesday of every month. And you can register again under our website, under the calendar of events. And then, I mean, not anyone, you just mentioned who it's for, but could a guardian just sign up for one? They don't have to be in some membership or? No, there's no membership. In fact, we Our services are open really to anyone, but we designate a couple of our programs like the Family Guardian Network because um, it's really for family guardians to network with each other. Volunteers, you know, friends, family members to network with each other um, without having any other uh, distraction or for questions that don't relate to them and what they're going through. Sort of a non sequitur, but I'm just, this is very intriguing to me. So there's something I'm aware of called a true link card, and there's information on the website. Tell us, can you talk about that? Yeah, true link is a great resource, and they're also, in all honesty, a great company. They are actually referenced in the Palms, which is the operational manual for Social Security, as being that reputable. So they do a lot for their community and their debit card is a great resource for uh, any guardian or conservator who wants to uh, provide some independence and autonomy to their loved one to have their own personal spending. So let's say you are the guardian of 
your 19-year-old son and you're trying to teach money management and budgeting and not spending it all on, in the first hour that you get it. You can upload, it's not a bank, but you can tie it to a bank account that you can upload certain amounts of money on for them to use just like a normal debit card. It's not a bank itself, but it's tied to the bank account, but you can only spend what's on that card. So if you wanna put $30 every Monday for their weekly spending allowance, you can set up automatic payments to do that. You wanna put extra money for holiday shopping or a birthday, uh, extra money to go to the fair or you know just anything like that. A lot of uh, guardians also use it for their aging parents who can go to the grocery store, do their own shopping, but maybe they got caught in a scam. And unfortunately, a lot of our elders are, are caught in scams these days, but they can do a lot of their own shopping. They just you know, had lost some money because of, of the scam. Um, but it's a great way to give that independence and autonomy, but yet with still a level of protection because you can get an alert when the card is used. And then you can even go deeper than that. You can um, curtail different stores or different amounts. Like you could say only $40 out of any ATM transaction or no liquor stores. Um, one of my favorite stories actually was one, um, it was a, a guardian, guardian for her mother who she used to sew and knit, you know, really just had a lot of, of crafty um, talent, I'm going to say. I'm not crafty at all, so I was always very jealous. And, and when I was the court visitor and I first learned about TrueLink, I said, you know, hey, maybe this is something because her mom would get really upset that she couldn't go to her craft store and get all of these things and that she couldn't do her own shopping. And why wasn't she able to do that? And she was, really was. It's just that if you gave her $100, she'd spend $100 at Joanne Fabrics, but she couldn't do the crafts anymore, unfortunately, because of the arthritis in her hands. It was just something that she knew. So rather than take away that ability, they just curtailed the card. They, they you know, were able to... Um, uh, customize the card that she could only spend a certain amount each day in Joanne Fabrics. And she wasn't going there every single day, but it was like $20 or $30 to where she could then still go out to lunch with her friends or go get her hair done because that was just sort of her focal point. And I felt that was great because we sometimes, for lack of a better word, punish folks by taking away personal spending or their allowance. And that's not really dignified or providing respect to a person who's now an adult. And while we do sometimes have to curtail money spending for threats to health or safety or keep large amounts of money in case they are involved in scams, you and I probably both spend money on things that we don't get a ton of benefit from because we enjoy it. I mean, I have wished many times for two hours of my life when I spent money on a bad movie or we get a bad haircut. Or, you know, we buy a lotto ticket hoping we win the million dollars and we don't. So we have to be mindful that while we're there to conserve and protect money, we're also there to enrich lives and allow decision making. And the TrueLink card could be a great resource to teach skill, but also provide some of that autonomy and independence, but yet monitoring as well to ensure we don't further any exploitation or taking someone taking advantage of them. And they've got different levels of cards. And if you just put a TrueLink financial on Google, it should pop right up. And we do have information on our website about TrueLink as well. No link specifically to it and everything else we're talking yeah. about. Thank you. 
And um, I used to work for the court for a bit. I was a law clerk, but I remember the reminders for guardians to get their annual report in often took quite some time. And then the judge calls a hearing and um, there's some leniency, but the court definitely wants those annual reports. And it looks like you have a reminder system. We do. So the court should send out a letter about 30 days before the report is due. And, you know, every court has a little bit different compliance system based on their volume of cases. But the idea is that if you don't file it, yes, you likely will get a show cause or a status hearing as to why. So you should get a letter from the court, but we also have via ASAGA an annual report reminder, and we can send you an email or a text uh, or both if you'd like 30 days before your report is due and then seven days before your report is due. If you go to our website under ASAGA services, it'll say annual report reminder, and we have an online form. You give us your name, you give us your email, you give us your phone number, and then you let us know the dates of your report and it's generally a 12 month period. If the dates seem odd, we're gonna contact you to confirm because we wanna make sure we get you entered into our system correctly. But it's just another layer of support to remind you of when those things are due. And then we also have a reminder that, hey, we do teach a class, we are willing to do a consult, we will email or mail you the forms if you need them. However, we can support you to get that paperwork in. Um, because it is important. It's an important monitoring tool for the court. And it'll, you want to fill it out as thoroughly as possible because it lets the court know, is this order still needed? Is the person improving or declining? What are the successes that they've had and that you've had as their guardian or conservator? And then what are the struggles? When you start to get in one word or just one sentence answers, um, that's one of the court improvement projects that we're working on is to try and get a little bit more detail. And the reason being is these guardianship orders take away rights and we wanna make sure that it's still a reasonable order to have, um, yet also use it as part of our monitoring tool. And if you have any questions on those, I feel I do a lot of con consults on the annual report um, and always more than happy to do so. My recollection as well is that there's the annual report and then I think every three years, the court also appoints a visitor to do a more thorough overview, meet with the family. Do I have that right? You got that right, Liz. Every three years based on our statutes, a visitor is reappointed. The only time that they wouldn't be or they'd waive that review is if there was a recent review and maybe a change in guardian within about six months of when that three-year order would come out. But the idea is to, again, answer those questions. Is this order still needed in the way it's uh, set up? Is it working as intended? Or do we need to make any changes? And so the court visitor will generally do an interview with you and the person that you're guardian or conservator for, any providers that you're working with. They'll review your reports. They may ask for additional information on those reports. So while you don't need to turn in every single receipt um, with the annual reports, you definitely want to keep all of your documentation. So that way, if it's asked for in a review, you'll have it. And if I can do one side note, Liz, I've been asked this question, how long do I keep all of this information? You know, to be perfectly honest, the length 
of your guardianship, at least for now. And the reason is, is that we do have a committee that's looking at whether it's a statute or a probate rule, we're not sure. But when you are a guardian, anything that you've done is subject to review, even if it was 10 years ago. And so there have been guardianships that have been in place for 30 plus years. And I, you know, I shudder to think of the boxes stacked somewhere, but it's important to keep that documentation until we have a, a better rule of how long for the length of your guardianship, because you can be asked for it at, at any time. And our annual report now does require uh, 12 months of the bank statements for the main accounts that expenses and income are going in and out of. So your operational account, other accounts like the ABLE account or a trust account or a a pension or a retirement account, it might be just the last month, but your day-to-day checking and savings that money goes in and money pays the bill, they need 12 months of statements. So if you're listening to this and you're able to put in a power of attorney in place and a healthcare directive and you haven't yet, this is what your loved ones will be. And the court has its best intentions, but it's a lot of work. It is. It is. I tell, I preface all my trainings with some of you are going to have an easier time than others, but all of you are going to have a lot of work. And um, we, the court knows that as the statewide guardianship compliance officer working for the court, I know that I'm working with um, the, the court staff, the judges, our court administration to provide as much assistance and support as we can because you are the one doing the work and we thank you for stepping into that role, but um, we can't do it for you. And then Asaga, of course, tries to provide the layer of support that the court can't. You know, the court can't do all of these different trainings and, have, and gather all of these speakers. Um, so we're trying to supplement anything that the court can do. And, and it's been a really nice partnership. And the Alaska court system has taken guardianship and really gone with it. It's gotten a lot of attention in the last three to four years, and it's going to get a lot more um, in the coming years because they really believe in this case type and how important it is. But I agree with you, Liz, if you've not put your advanced directives in place, and even if you think, oh, well, I've got years, anything can happen to us at any time. So we really encourage you to do so because it's not just the work that you do. You may do the same amount of work as a power of attorney, but you won't be under the jurisdiction of the court. But I will say a lot of powers of attorneys end up in court because they don't keep records. They don't document what they do for their loved one. So just being a power of attorney doesn't really eliminate the need for that because you could be accused of doing something wrong and then we end up in, in court anyway. So if you're a power of attorney already or you're becoming one, keep records of what you do. Just keep everything separate from your loved one. Keep records, you know, make it really clean if money is borrowed or loaned and how that's being paid back. Um, so that way you don't end up in court for maybe a misunderstanding. Yeah. Well put. Thanks, Lisa. And I just wanted to add as we're talking about guardians. As family members, there are times where someone needs someone to make decisions for them and doesn't have family members, someone to that can do that, that's a responsible party. And there are public guardians in the state. So There are. We have um, both public guardians, and then we also have a group of what we'll call private professional guardians who 
our uh, guardian, professional guardians who do this for a decent or a, a certain size caseload, they do have fees um, that attached. And not that our public guardians don't have fees, but they do have um, the ability to waive those if needed. And there are also now four professional payee organizations if financial management is needed and the person's willing to get the help. They may not just need a conservator. Our public guardian's office is fairly um, overwhelmed with cases. They have a lot of cases per person. And not that they don't do uh, a great job and not that they're not available if there's no trusted, willing, or able family members. But if there are, there sometimes are family members that are just, they're um, not confident in taking on that role or they're just unsure. And we want to encourage you, if you're willing to try, we are willing to help. And, and we can walk you through step-by-step. Step. The Office of Public Advocacy has actually provided a lot of our trainings and they do a quarterly benefits Q&A where we have a benefits expert that gets on the phone with families and, and hears all of their, you know, social security did this, Medicaid did that and helps guide them to the process to get those things remedied. So uh, the Office of Public Advocacy provides a lot of support to our family guardians as well um, with a partnership with them. So there is help for you if you are unsure of this role. If you're willing to give it a try, we are there to help you. Great. That seems like a great place to wrap up. I have one other question for you, and then I want to talk about contact, but information. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap? You know, I we could probably, like I mentioned, go on and on about the topic. And so I just encourage folks, if you have questions, um, just reach out. We um, have email, we have our phone, we have our website where we try to keep information on there. If you have an idea for a training, um, if you have um, suggestions on things that may help guardians and conservators in Alaska, we are always open to those suggestions. I am a volunteer guardian myself for someone who's not a family member. So I know the work that goes into this and I'm always looking for what's next. You know, and that's where that income and expense tracker came from. So um, if you have suggestions, please let us know. Thank you so much for joining. And lastly, do you have a piece of advice from personal or professional experience on a life transition that you would share with our audience? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think the best piece of advice I could give is balance. Um, I think there's a lot of just black and white out there and whether it's personal or professional or just in the guardianship arena, you know, trying to have a balanced approach. I get a lot of calls from families saying, well, this family said that this happened and the court did this and I want that too. Or, you know, Medicaid said this and why can't I do this? And there's there's just so many different rules and guidelines and um, things that it may not apply and so many different perceptions and perspectives. And uh, I just, I would caution anyone to take a lot of things, unless it's from the source itself, like unless you're talking to social security or unless you're, you know, talking to um, a division of public assistance is to just try and have a balanced approach and know that not everything is, is black and white. Um, 
And I, I think that, you know, we have our work-life balance. We want to make sure we take time for ourselves. You know, so we have our personal balances. We have some professional balances. And that's where I think Asaga has been really helpful is I don't know you in your situation, but I'm going to give you a very honest, but neutral and independent answer because it, it's not for me to say why you did something a certain way. I'm going to give you the tools that really look at, um, at how you should be yourself making the decision, not me making it for you or telling you what you should have done, but giving you the tools to do that. And that's what I sort of mean. And, you know, and as far as balance and a very old mentor of mine, Oh, I hope she doesn't hear me say that she's not old. Just many years ago was a mentor of mine. Um, said that wrong, told me that she said, you need to have a balanced approach at life. Nothing is black and white, you know, and I have always kind of stuck that and just pocketed into various things, whether it's personal or professional. And I'm not always balanced, but if I ever get kind of in my own head, I remember that and it helps kind of calm me down and give me back the perspective that I've needed. Um, and so we can help you with that in your guardianship journey. And I hope that people can use that in their own journeys and whatever they may be. Thank you. How we talked a lot about the resources you have. We'll uh, link to the website. How else can individuals contact Asaga? And then if you want to provide information through your roles, the core, I don't know, whatever. How can people follow up? So um, if you have anything court related, I can't guarantee that I can help because I I don't have, you know, the end all authority, but my court email and phone number are on the court website under the self-help section for guardianship. Um, for Asaga, you can call us and our phone number is 907-444-4015. Our email is um, asagaak at protonmail.com. And I'll spell that. It's A, S as in Sam. A-G-A-A-K at P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L dot com. So asagaak at protonmail.com. And then you can also find our website and that's asaga.info, A-S-A-G-A dot I-N-F-O. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I learned a lot and I hope, well, I hope it was beneficial to a lot of listeners as well. I appreciate you having me, Liz. Thank you for doing this. That's all for this week. You can find show notes for this show and prior episodes and future episodes at lizsmithlaw.com. And if you're interested in scheduling a meeting with us to find out what your next step would be for your estate planning, visit us at bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Again, that's bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Or find the link at lizsmithlaw.com. We look forward to seeing you again right here, same place, same time, two weeks from now. Thank you so much.